0: Welcome to another episode of We Are HR. Um, I'm Anita Vaughan, I'm the General Manager of HR Partners for Victoria and South Australia, and our guest today is Pratika Hansen. Welcome, Pratika. Thanks, Anita. I'm really (laughs) glad to be here. Thank you. Perhaps you could start by telling us a little bit about you.
1: Sure. So, I'm currently the People Experience Director at Pitch Partners. Accounting advisory firm here in Melbourne, um, with presence nationally. We've got about 700 people in the Melbourne office, um, at all different backgrounds mm. and um, all different levels. Yeah. So, you,
0: do, you, do you mind telling us a little bit about the beginning of your HR career? I know it was a non-traditional start. Do you want to tell us a little sure, bit about that? Sure. Sure. Um, so I grew
1: up in the states and. Uh, started out with a career in marketing mm-hmm. and was really lucky and um, very grateful for these experiences because um, I started out in Boston which is where mm-hmm. I grew up and
0: hence um, the lovely accent mm,
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't sound like a Bostonian oh, uh, a little a bit here and accent. there yeah. um, mm-hmm. and uh, started my career there and then progressed to roles in Europe, so was lucky enough to live in London for a period of time, and then in Barcelona, Mm -hmm. which was um, amazing, and um, got thrown into the deep end in a lot of my roles, so Mm -hmm. by the time I was in my mid-twenties, I moved to Singapore and headed up uh, marketing for a global organization, so for all of Asia-Pacific which was very much a sink or swim job Mm -hmm. and um, I was determined that I was going to be swimming and I was going to be Mm -hmm. swimming well Mm -hmm. and um, did that for a number of years and then came to Australia now, it's been 16 years Um, Mm -hmm. and it was when I came here that I fell into HR uh-huh. And I must admit, I had no idea what HR was.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, uh-huh. I, I just thought I was applying for a role um, mm-hmm. doing some project work mm-hmm. um, where they needed some marketing support to launch a program. Mm-hmm. And not fully understanding what it was all about. New country, new mm-hmm. people, new mm-hmm. accents. Didn't know anybody when I came here. Mm-hmm. So it was very much a let's try this out experience. And when I took the role, um, I was lucky enough to work with some amazing people, including mm-hmm. a great manager who's still a mentor of mine today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned a lot about business. I learned mm-hmm. a lot about people, mm-hmm. um, leadership, mm-hmm. um, a lot about you know taking chances, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know what does making an impact look like
0: Mm.
1: so i was there for about six years so Mm -hmm. and in that time um worked on a range of different programs and really learned um i wasn't i was in hr but i was in the od space Mm -hmm. and was this at coles this was at coles Coles yeah Mm -hmm. um and i Um, I really just learned to roll up my sleeves Mm. and get in there and Mm. learn. And I asked Mm. lots of questions. And if Mm. something didn't make sense, I just thought, oh, what's that about? Mm. Or what are Mm. you doing over there? Mm. Or Mm. um, can I sit and watch? Um, Mm. Is there an opportunity? You know, those were Mm. always my questions. Is there an opportunity to do that? Or how can I be involved? Mm. Um, And you know for the most part people said yes Mm, yes mm -hmm. come and help me or come and do this Mm -hmm. and so I learned I learned by watching I learned by doing Mm -hmm. I learned by asking and Mm -hmm. those six years were probably um, some of the best years Mm -hmm. if I think Mm -hmm. if I look back on my career so far Mm -hmm. Um, I then um, took a break to start a family Mm -hmm. and I didn't, um, I finished up with the Coles um, Uh and I went, I started my career at that point with professional services. Uh So I had um, two children at that point Uh and my first foray into professional services Uh started then. So Uh I joined uh, an insolvency practice, Uh McGranical, and um, did a range of Projects in, Again, initially. in the OD and the
0: leadership space Yes, mainly. and
1: learning, mm-hmm. learning OD leadership mm-hmm. and that's how I started and uh, was there for a number of years and um, towards the end of that role I uh, w- uh, did some time as a national um, learning manager mm-hmm. in at mm-hmm. Um that was actually, I thought, a great introduction to mm. professional services. Mm. Um, it was small enough you could get your arms around, and and small enough to understand the dynamics of mm. prof services because mm-hmm. it, it is different from corporate, and especially coming mm. from a big corporate mm. to um, a smaller organization. Um, I learned quickly where I could use my strengths, and mm. I had learned really quickly um, where I could make an impact, mm. and. I got to I, I got to play mm. um, in in the culture space, which is probably mm. the area I love the most, mm. um, culture and leadership. And
0: can I just interrupt there for mm. one second? It's really interesting. People talk about making a transition from corporate to prof services yeah. or prof services to corporate. Um, are there any insights that come from the main differences you saw from a big corporate yeah. to working in that environment? Um, One of
1: the big differences is you're working with business owners. So you're directly working with business Mm. owners and you are, um, you know, when you put forward an idea or a proposal Mm -hmm. um, or a business case, you have to be very conscious about how you're going to use the money Mm. and what it is that you're asking for and what will be the outcome. Because Mm -hmm. oftentimes, you're actually impacting the profit of Mm -hmm. of the business owner Mm -hmm. and so you have to show them what the value is. Mm -hmm. And And is it more
0: than one business owner often?
1: Often there is. Mm -hmm. So if I look at my current role there are Mm -hmm. 51 business owners that I have to work
0: with. So for the listeners who haven't been in professional services who have one CEO or one key group that they look after, maybe two or three stakeholders, um, I would see that is the main difference between corporates and prof services, hmm. having 51 mini-CEOs, we could call them, who you have to get agreement and alignment with um, instead of just one stakeholder and one CEO, or group yes. of stakeholders through to one CEO. Yes. It's a very different level of intensity in getting buy-in. It's It's a different um. level of intensity around influencing mm-hmm. and creating
1: engagement. Mm. Very, very different because you... Have to know where you need everybody's buy-in versus mm-hmm. where it's okay to mm-hmm. only have a few people's buy-in
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, when you're working on something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's taken some time to, to understand mm-hmm. and to adapt to mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. Um, as you said, yeah, in a corporate world it's it's mm-hmm. often one person. Mm-hmm. That you have to influence a key and sponsor, engage, and then yes. off the
0: projects go, but not in prof services. No,
1: no, not at all. No, especially if you're doing firm-wide projects, you need to get the buy-in of mm. a lot of people, mm. more so than the corporate world.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and what some, a great skill though to take with you wherever you go now. Absolutely, I think it's
1: amazing. one other thing to also think about in in prof services is it's a billable environment, so time is money, mm-hmm. and. You have to be conscious when you are engaging with the partners that whatever you're putting forward, um, you're doing it in an effective and an efficient manner, um, and getting across your ideas
0: in mm-hmm. a way
1: that um, one they can they understand what you're trying to do, um, and B it's it's you're taking into consideration um, the fact that you know client service is really important and that you're aware of it and how are you adapting to um, supporting the business because at the end of the day, it's it's the clients. Mm. Mm.
0: And how hard is it to get 51 mini CEOs on the same page?
1: Depends what it is. Uh It absolutely depends what it is. So if I look back about 18 months ago, I um, put forward a proposal to run um, a full partner leadership program. And this involved every single partner um, participating in a year-long development program, which was, it's Mm. a huge commitment, Um, but it was really about bringing the partnership together to create a learning environment for them, to have a forum where some harder conversations could be held to think about what's the future of work and what's the future of the firm and and what's the legacy of this partnership going to be and to pull that together I knew it was going to cost a lot of money but equally there was also the opportunity cost because when a partner is out of the office it means they can't do client work so therefore how could I structure a year-long program where both the partner would get some individual outcomes, as a group they would get some outcomes, but um, it would also allow for um, the partners to feel they had the space to also work on this program and work with each other. Sure. So we had to do some compromises, we had to do some weekend days, we had to do some weekdays, um, and, and we found a, a reasonable medium um, to deliver the program. and. You know, initially, the first thing you know everyone looks at is how much does it cost me?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, because this was truly <laughs> this an a, example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was truly an example of um, they didn't have to do this. Um, they could have just kept the money mm-hmm. and invested in other things, or um, or not at all. But they chose to do this. You know, so it took me about four months. Um, but in this case, worked with a group of partners to help. Um, get the message across the line about why this is so important and what does this mean so we did a lot of work looking at Simon Sinek's why, um, what's the why in this so we we got clear on that to an extent in in terms from an individual perspective and for a firm perspective Um, and then um, when we went to pitch this we had done enough socializing of, of the concept and the ideas, and when we went to pitch for it, um, we, of course, got lots of questions, and we still, we got a little bit of pushback, but at the end of the day, it was um, a green light, a green light right. which was fantastic, yeah. and it was the first time the partnership had done something like this, and it was definitely challenging, mm. um, but I think... Well done.
0: That, that's mm. no easy... Easy feat.
1: <laughs> no, considering when you see how, mon- how much was involved, how much mm. did, from a money and time perspective. Mm.
0: Yeah. So, what is your role now at Picture Partners for the listeners? Because mm. I know what your role. <laughs> Cut that bit. I know your role, of course. My course?
1: role currently um, is the director of people experience.
0: Great. And the size of your team—having—is a team that you look after for a um, employee uh, workforce of around about seven hundred. Uh, I've got about.
1: 17, Mm -hmm. including myself, 18 with my PA.
0: Great, and what sort of things are on your agenda for this year, or have been challenges for this year, or coming up for you for 2019 for your team? Sure.
1: Look one of the big things we wanted to get across the line this year was um, to make some changes around our parental program. Mm -hmm. Um, We knew we were well and truly below the market of what we offered um, in the Prof Services space, and we knew we needed to do something about that so as prior to working on this particular initiative we did a big piece of work around refreshing our values and bringing that to the forefront and that actually helped me launch our new parental program and get approval of what it looks like so um, what i also did was got a group of partners to help me um, understand what the needs are and then how do we uh, build something that's suitable for our people and a couple of weeks ago we got the green light on that Um, so it's a holistic program where there are you know the weeks that we will be offering um, for we still use primary non-primary but that's Mm -hmm. the next challenge Mm -hmm. we'll we'll Mm -hmm. work on Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, sometimes you just have to go slow Mm -hmm. to go fast one step at a time Mm -hmm and so um, we at least have made progress in what we can offer for our primary carers as well as for our non-primary we were able mm. to triple what we offer our non-primary carers Great. and um, we've got something for the grandparents too Right. so
0: Great. it's well, cool exciting. of exciting EVP too, what it is that you offer as a firm to market when you're trying to be attractive in a very competitive market? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Because mm. we, you know, like many organizations, we want to retain our, our female talent. Mm. Um, we want to make it easy for them to come back to work. We want to give them great careers. That's one of our pillars, is, is um, great careers for our people. We know that with the way the world's changing that not everyone will stay forever, and not everyone will come in as a grad and finish off as a partner, as the tradition has been. Yes, yes. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. However, while you're there, let's make sure we we give you... Um, mm the opportunities, let's um, stretch you, let's um, give you some great clients to work with because that is part of our EVP is we work with some great clients out there and being a smaller firm, people have the opportunity to have exposure to that mm. and that means your breadth and your skill set can grow faster.
0: Mm. It's a nice segue. I was thinking about future work for your mm-hmm. organisation and that would be one of the um, impacts to consider the generational changes around expectations of work. You mentioned someone wanting to have a whole lifetime in an organisation and that has certainly been the case in partnership models in the past. Um, So I'm interested in how that ties into future work for you guys and what you think that that workforce mix might look like Mm -hmm. in the future.
1: Look, we're, we've been trying some different things um, this year, especially around thinking about what that mix looks like. So in certain practice groups within our firm, we can have some fun. We can, we can look at some different backgrounds, we can look at some different skill sets, different education, um, qualifications, and um, you know, do some testing and mm. see how that works. Um, is that sustainable? Can we still give them great careers? Can we, can we fulfill that motto that, motto sure. that we've got? Sure. Um, in some of our more traditional areas, um, we haven't been able to flex as much, however, um, what we are really thinking about is what are the skills and capabilities that we need our people to have? Knowing that the way the world is changing, Mm -hmm. so moving from the traditional tasks that you might expect an accountant to do, to being much more advisory and being much more engaging with their clients, and how can they support their clients to have great businesses. Um, So it's been more work around skills and capabilities, and that'll evolve, and that's a big agenda Mm -hmm. for us for 2019. So um, in line with the relaunch of the values, new capability frameworks, new performance models, new systems, so that's from the operational side. That's a big year coming up.
0: That's a big year. (laughs) It's a
1: big year, so that's from the operational side. But it's
0: exciting stuff too, isn't it, in HR? That's the sexy stuff.
1: It is, um, but I also think we have some work to do around our culture and our leadership. Mm -hmm. So... We've, we've invested in our partnership, and we invest um, heavily in learning across all our levels. Um, I'm very proud to say that. We're, um, we, we ask our people to fully engage in that. Um, but we know we've got more to do to build some really great leadership capability at the more senior levels.
0: So you mentioned earlier about adaptive leadership. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share with us a little bit about that and what that means for Pitch Partners?
1: Sure. So adaptive leadership is um, a framework that was originated by two professors at Harvard, so um, Marty Linsky and Ronald Heifetz. And we were really lucky to have Marty come and be part of the partner leadership program. Right, and in the flesh. In the flesh, he was, wow. it was such a privilege to work with him and um, really understood how Adaptive leadership is, in some ways, it's, it's a framework, sure, but I think it's also a mindset um, and a way of looking, a lens, if you will, um, around how do you prepare yourself for the future? What are the things that you're currently doing that help you and that you want to carry into the future? What are the things that are holding you back that you need to let go of? and what are the things that have done you know, done ver- so well for you to this point, but will no longer serve you
0: mm. going into
1: the future. So it's, it's recognizing it, honoring it, letting go, and then mm. what's, what's, what do we need to now um, learn and pick up and mm. move forward with? So we've introduced this particular um, leadership framework or theory or concept, lots of people will call it lots of different things, sure. um, across all our levels of our leadership programs. And it's really about getting people to understand that there are different lenses, that not everything, as um, Marty was teaching us, that not everything is a technical uh, problem and you won't have the answers for everything.
0: And that's okay. And that's, that's okay. A probably a light bulb moment for lots of the workforce to think they don't actually need to know the answers to everything. <laughs> yes. And we treat
1: everything like a technical problem because we assume there's an answer associated with it. Whereas there are lots of things in the world that's actually an adaptive challenge, which means you may not have a clear-cut answer, but you've got to apply some hypothesis, some data collection, some discoveries, some conversations to perhaps uncover a little bit of it. Mm. And then you try it out and then go again. So design thinking is actually a concept that fits quite nicely with adaptive leadership because design thinking is all about Understanding from another person's point of view, and um, you know, making spending sh-
0: time on the why, which is what you just talked about. Yes, That's probably the, the one um, clear takeaway on design thinking is spending. Often we spend time on the design, which is what you said. We feel like we need a solution, but actually spending a whole lot of time on the why. Exactly. Why the water, Diagnosing the problem. And, yeah. And will the problem still be there in three months' time, six months' time, twelve months' time, or will is it change shape? A, yes. Yes. And I think a lot of those problems do sit with HR and organisations. There are so many layers of thinking outside of running the business that HR people are the thought leaders of. So what is going to happen in 2030 with workforce and workforce mix and gig workers and contract workers? What is going to mm. be the proposition that we need to um, be an attractive place to work at that time? What, what does the culture need to look like to drive innovation so businesses thrive? There's so many things that really are sitting with HR, and I'm recognising this more and more working with really clever HR people, that yeah. their thinking is sitting with HR, not, not necessarily in the business. They're, they're sending the business down that journey, some gently and some really fast, but it's actually sitting, coming from HR, which is non-traditional if you look back 15 years ago for what HR looked like and what so the role of HR was and what it is now. I think it's come leaps and bounds.
1: So do you think that HR is having more of a seat at the table?
0: Yes, it's a little debate that I've had. I actually have often with people because if I'd ask a HR person what they want, they say they want a seat at the table. What does that mean? Well, the challenge is if if they've earned the seat at the table, mm-hmm. that's the challenge. So it's one thing to be able to provide um, a service model for HR. It's 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 one thing to be able to provide like a a level one or two help desk support for all things HR. But to be equipped enough to be commercial, to sit at the table with the CEO and exec team, and be able to be um, um, contri- contributing to that conversation, not just commenting on the conversation, which was a really lovely little quote that I'd heard from someone recently. To think, when you're with the exec team, am I commenting or contributing here? So if they can actually have an impact, then they should uh, they should have that seat at the table. Yeah. But so many HR practitioners, there there's a you know there's a leap for them in being more commercial to mm-hmm. be able to hold that seat. Um, and we see seen organisations where the evolution of HR is not um, not held back because the business don't want HR at the table, but they haven't yet met the right calibre HRD who can hold the seat and really add value yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. So, And there are some businesses that don't want that, that actually don't want a steer sitting with them at that level. So. I think that's the challenge: making sure that the people that get the seat at the table are equipped, or that as a community we're developing that capability to mm-hmm. really add value there. I often see events um, that are, you know, titled "having a seat at the table," yes. and I think it's very um, the conversation that happens around that is really interesting about who should have it, can we have it, what do we need to do to hold it, what value are we actually driving, um, and these conversations around future work and helping organisations to think ahead about what their workforce design and shape and size and culture and engagement, what their models are, will really be meaningful if they can talk about ROI, if they can talk about the customer, if they can talk about an um, impact on sales, if they can talk about customer behaviour, yeah. you know, if that's the language set that sits with them at the executive, um, it'll really have a seat at the table. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. No, it does.
1: It does. Mm. Um, And it's... I think it's also the ability to give um, the execs and the CEO the right things to think about. Mm. So the right... At the right time. Mm. Mm. Um, And it might be something as small as this policy is impacting these people in this way and we need to change it and that's something we're going to do, but I just need you to talk about it in your next update, as simple as that, to um, what's the role we want to play when it comes to this whole parental program, Mm. which was the big Mm. conversations we had to have around, we know we're not competitive, but what's the right thing for us to do? Yes. And what's the right thing for us to offer and out there? And if we there.
0: don't, will it impact business? Will it impact sales? Exactly. Will it impact exactly. partnership? Will it impact? Are we are affecting we
1: our talent pipeline? And, yes. And then
0: are we affecting our future partner potentials? Absolutely. Mm. Which then comes back to bottom line and exactly. commercial seat. Exactly. Which is where I think in Prof Services, because of the partners you report to are like CEOs, that mm-hmm. you are naturally having to adapt your language set to that straight up um, And I think it's a a great skill to have crafted in the Prof. Services sector. Mm. It's it's
1: really enjoyable to work with business owners directly because you Mm -hmm. see the passion for um, the business, for their clients, and for their people. And so then when you go through the pain of whatever it is that you're trying to get to the other side, you know who you're working for. You know you're working for the people there, and you know you're working to make the firm a better place to attract better people. Yes. So sometimes in the middle of it all, you've got to remind yourself, who am I doing this for? Yes. You know, rather than,
0: oh, man, I just have to get that done. Mm, mm. Mm. Have to plough through something as mm. opposed to, okay, there's a customer at the end of this. Exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. And if I do this well, this our people get impacted in this way, which
0: in in... in indirectly affects our clients mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. how does change evolve in prop services so we think about change management 101 or getting on the change journey of what a business will look like in 2030 i, I was just thinking off the top my head of a insolvency firm that i know that's um like businesses that have reach a tipping point and they say if i continue doing business how we do right now we're going to have a lot less business in 20 years if a business yes. at all and so the the change journey can be driven from that commercial lens, or is there just an appetite in the business to to evolve and change, or is there not much appetite in the business for change? I think it depends
1: on which prof services you're talking about, because yes. I think there are some that are quite advanced mm-hmm. in this in mm-hmm. um, in looking at what the future looks like, mm-hmm. and I think there are others who may not have even really thought about mm. it. So I would say we are um, somewhere in the middle. So it changes slow. It's it's and it's because in my world there's 51 people to uh, get them on that journey. Yes, who mm. need to understand and, and understand the impact for themselves, for their clients, and what does it all mean. So there are certainly. Um, Things that we're trying around changing the business model, the way work is being done, um, the whole outsourcing does that work, does that not work? So, lots of different things are being tried, and there's no shortage of uh, support in trying new things, which is wonderful. Um, but then it's sometimes, you know, the risk lens gets put on, and sometimes we, we may not be as bold as we need to be. Um, in really pushing that change through mm. um, or um, being mostly accountants there's a lot of analysis sure. that happens
0: so there's <laughs> probably a formula to get through <laughs> so
1: there's probably um, some things that are done really well and then there are others where um, sometimes a bit of courage is needed
0: to push it through sure so mentoring is something that comes up a lot in mm-hmm. conversation around crafting your career have you had some significant mentors that have um, really helped you on your journey and perhaps share something around how you found a mentor what was it what was it about them um, and perhaps how that's influenced your career for the better
1: sure so I mentioned earlier I um, had an amazing manager who has become a mentor and uh, to this day she continues to be a mentor for me and you know, it's been interesting, every time I've tried to formally find a mentor, where perhaps someone has said to me, go talk to them and then mm. ask them if they'll be a mentor, it's
0: never worked mm-hmm. out for me. feels a bit clunky. Yeah, it's mm. just never worked, we, we've, we you know, we just can't seem to get together or, It's you not know. uncommon, by the way, with mentoring. Yeah. It's, it's not uncommon. It's very hit and miss, so there's a deep connection mm. and it goes really well. Or it's kind of a light connection and a bit transient, so it's not uncommon.
1: No, so it's it's never worked when it's been a formal request or a formal arrangement. But um, where I have found my mentors is it's been unexpectedly. And either I've had the privilege of working with them um, for periods of time and I've really valued um, the way they've managed me or developed me or um, coached or gave me feedback, you know even told me off you know when I wasn't <laughs> doing something right so um I certainly um keep in touch with with a number of people I've worked with previously and um they've they're much more established um in their careers and they've been wonderful
0: um, but um, what was the question?
1: What's,
0: Sorry. Um, so what, what has it been in the mentoring relationships that have been very fruitful for you? Is there one or two gems you could share with us that have helped you on your journey? Something that's come from a mentoring conversation that really has stayed with you as you've worked through into being the director of HR role?
1: Yeah, so I think about somebody who has become recently, very recently, both a friend and a mentor to me. Um, she is an experienced HRD, and I met her unexpectedly when we were going to a conference. Right. So, and we got I to know, know each mean. other. Yes. You know, and we got to know each other, and yeah. we have kept in touch. Mm-hmm. And what I have really appreciated is the responsiveness from her. Mm-hmm. She, I would ask questions, and I would get a response
0: mm-hmm.
1: immediately. Mm -hmm. And what I also really enjoy about our conversations and our relationship is um, there's no judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, No question is a silly question. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk about lots of different things um, as I've made this transition around how do I work with people who are very capable? How do I work with the people who are not so capable um, both within my team and around me and above me and below and you know how do I how do I navigate that
0: Um, and by fluke you both worked with very highly intellectual workforces too yeah very very much by fluke shared shared thinking and um, Mm. shared challenges yes with similar workforce types. Mm.
1: and um, so that was very unexpected but for me it was uh, the responsiveness made a big difference because she showed me she was interested. And as soon, and as, soon as that happens, um, it's easy to engage. And I know there have been times I've helped her, and there have been times where she's you know, helped me enormously,
0: so. Sounds like an exchange more than a pure mentor-mentee relationship. Yeah. It might be a, a peer exchange mentor rather than a, yeah, a structured and that's okay. mentoring program.
1: Exactly. So I've never had a structured mentoring program because they've never worked for me. Um, it's been these um, I call them serendipitous (laughs) interactions or connections that happen um, where you just think wow how did that happen and that has probably proved
0: some of the best connections. That's awesome and what about in your career progression have you had some strong female leaders that you've reported to who have helped you on your journey? Early in my career I did Um, and and
1: they were both both of the people I'm thinking of were terrific at pushing me out of my comfort zone right. and telling me that I could do it and I should have a go. Um, but more recently, I, I mean, I work with a lot of males um, in in both the previous organization as well as my current organization. Um, but I am surrounded by some pretty amazing women who are trying to make a de- change and make a difference and um, rather than being mentors or I work for them, I would say we're much more peers a- advocating sure, for the same. Sure, sure.
0: Mm. And that's just as powerful, isn't it? Someone it is not it Someone that you can walk side by side with. Yes. And share your journeys. Um, exactly. It's really powerful. And would you have some advice, so there are going to be people listening who are Mm. um, earlier on in their career, sure, or perhaps at a senior manager level looking to step up into a director level position, Mm -hmm. any advice? Mm -hmm. So some things that I would say is
1: don't take no for an answer. Um, My dad always used to say when one door closes another one opens, you just need to know where to look and sometimes it's not the easiest to work out where you're looking but keep looking and because it's there and um, if you truly believe in yourself and you back yourself put a case for yourself that you're ready to do this and identify who the right people are that you need to speak to um, to help you get to that next level. And for somebody who's perhaps earlier in their career, um, I'd say take advantage of every opportunity that you can. Um, Be curious, ask lots of questions. Um, Even if something doesn't look that interesting, try it. Because you just never know where it's gonna come in to help you later on. Um, And my philosophy is always just jump in. Um, You will swim you will swim if you have enough perseverance (laughs) and persistence you will swim
0: brilliant and with some of your peer mentor relationships around you you've got the support whether it's the support comes from in, and so we see with HR people sometimes the support comes from within the organization Mm. sometimes it comes from a peer network and sometimes it comes from a highly structured mentoring relationship And I've been lucky to have both in my career, really, really lucky. Um, It's only here, actually, at at HR Partners two years ago that I had my first formal mentor. I've had coaching relationships um, uh, and definitely those peer relationships, but having a really structured mentoring program, and I was lucky, it was absolutely perfect for me. In that 12-month period, there was a lot of change and a lot of growth came through these discussions with the mentor, so um, I've definitely been lucky to have both, definitely. So, Kritika, thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. We are HR. I appreciate your time, and I know that you're an incredibly busy woman. Um, and in the HR community, we really um, value the generosity of time that's coming from the HR community to be able to give back and share stories and give other people the insight and opportunity even to hear your perspective on things as a director in HR. So thank you so much for your time. My
1: pleasure. This and was a
0: lot of fun. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome.